The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. This was a fact, a fact that was confirmed to me by all of my friends. But I was nevertheless one of the four nominated drivers for the trip to the Eystone. 20 people, four cars, and not only did Julia get into my car, my marine blue Ford Sierra, two litre, but she actually sat in the passenger seat next to me. But at the time, I thought nothing of that. I thought she just wants to go ice skating. Anyway, uh, ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to ice skating, I have a problem in that although I can ice skate quite fast, I can't change direction or stop. <laughs> so all I can do is race across the ice, slam into the boards, turn around, race across the ice, slam into the boards. So I spend most of the afternoons ice skating spread eagled, face down on the ice. The first time that I fall over, I catch Julia out the corner of my eye laughing at me. But second time I fall over, she comes over to help me up. Ooh. What does that mean? Well, well, at the time, I thought she just feels sorry for me. Anyway, at the end of the day, all 20 of us go back to somebody's house to watch a video. And Julia is the last of the 20 people to enter the room. And not only does she come to sit on my side of the room, but she, she actually chose to sit on the carpet right next to the chair that I was sitting in. In fact, looking back, I probably should have offered her <laughs> my chair. But that was the moment I thought, maybe the seemingly impossible dream that Julia Brown would like me is coming true. And I have to tell you, that was an electric feeling. And you know, I can honestly say I've only ever had that same electric feeling on one other occasion in my life, and that was on the day when I began a relationship with God. And if you're not sure whether you've got that relationship with God, I'd love to give you an easy opportunity to begin that relationship afresh this morning. Because the Bible's message is that God made you in the hope of having a wonderful relationship with him. A relationship that's so good you can enjoy it in this life and in the next. This relationship goes on into a place where every day will be better than the one before. A place where you'll never be bored. This is a place where you'll be filled and thrilled to the max. You can begin that relationship afresh this morning if you want to. So if you don't know for sure that if perish the thought you were to die tonight, you don't know for sure that you go to heaven, you say, well, I hope so. Hey, you can know for sure, even this morning, because even though none of us are good enough for God, Jesus Christ is good enough for God, and he does all the work. So you can 
be sure, even this morning. So at the end, what I'd love to do is just to invite the band to come back, and then we'll all stand, we'll sing one song, then I'll come back and I'll stand here, and I'll just pray a prayer. And then I'll say, hey, if you want to make that prayer your prayer, then just raise your hand. I'll have my eyes open. The prayer team will have their eyes open. Everybody else's eyes will be closed. But if while those eyes are closed, if you want to make that prayer your prayer, you can. You can just raise your hand this morning. But first, for the next few minutes, we're going to look at what happened when Jesus met someone who had spent years chasing happiness, and it seems like she'd almost given up hope of ever finding it. This is a woman who had been looking for approval and significance. Now, by speaking to a Samaritan, Jesus ignores a wall of hatred that has divided Jews from Samaritans for 400 years. By speaking to a woman, Jesus was cutting right through Middle Eastern social protocol. So she is surprised. Jesus has just crossed a racial divide. Jesus has crossed a religious divide. Jesus has crossed a gender divide to show this woman radical acceptance. And Jesus was always getting into trouble for doing this sort of thing. You see, Jesus doesn't mind what race you are or what class you are. Jesus was always going to the parties of the wrong people. And as we'll see later, this woman was also in her society. She was like a moral outsider. She was shunned by her own community, which is probably why she was going to draw water at a time of the day when there wouldn't be anybody else around to criticize her. And it is typical of Jesus that here he deliberately goes out of his way to show love to someone who may have thought that they weren't good enough for God. Maybe I can explain what I mean. I don't know if you ever watched the TV show Dragon's Den. Do you ever watch Dragon's Den? But if there's somebody here, and maybe you've never seen or heard of Dragon's Den, the format of this show, this TV show, is that there are five wealthy investors. These are the dragons, yeah? And they lounge in their chairs. In fact, they're so rich that they even leave their cash on little tables like this for us to see, <laughs> so that we can see just how rich they are. And then the format of the show is that a entrepreneur will come into the den and then they'll pitch their business idea, sometimes quite nervously or hesitantly, but sadly what often happens on Dragon's Den is that once they pitch their idea, one by one the dragons will explain why they don't believe in this person, why they're not going to invest in this particular person, and they'll usually finish up their withering analysis by saying these words, and for that reason, I'm out. And then the next dragon will say, well, you're a, you're a nice enough guy. You're a nice enough guy, but I just don't think you've got what it takes. And so for that reason, I'm out. And then the next dragon will say, yeah, but your sums don't add up. I just don't think you're cut out to make it in the business world. And so for that reason, I'm out. And it's almost as if when Jesus comes along and he meets this woman, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, do you know what? For the very fact that everybody else in this town has said you're out, for that reason, I'm in. <laughs> for the very reason that everybody else in this town has rejected you, for that reason, I accept you. 
I'm in. This morning, Jesus is in. He comes to you this morning and stops to talk to you. Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, I'm interested in you. I want to stop and talk to you. This morning, Jesus is in. Now, notice this woman hadn't gone to the well in order to meet Jesus. She had no idea who Jesus was, had no idea that Jesus was going to be there. As far as we know, she was not on a religious search. And in the same way, I wasn't looking to meet Jesus. I wasn't on a spiritual search. I didn't go to church. I didn't have any friends who went to church. But then what happened was I met quite a large group of Christians. They had a sense of peace or, I don't know, happiness that wasn't dependent on their circumstances. Now, why was that appealing? Was it perhaps because I was unhappy at the time? No, I was very happy at the time. What I admired about these Christians that I just met was the person of Christ in them. Folks, the attractive thing for me about Christianity is a person. It's the person of Christ. I can remember the first time that I ever, in my whole life, picked up a Bible to read it for myself. I was in the back of a red Volkswagen car. This was some time afterwards. And I began to read from Matthew's account. This is the first book of the New Testament, an account of Jesus' life. And as I read, I only read for about 10 minutes. But those 10 minutes were enough for me to feel an unexpected sense of joy. It wasn't anything to do with my circumstances of sitting in the car reading a book. No, the joy was to do with the person whose words I was reading, the person of Christ. So, like me, this woman didn't start off looking for Jesus. No, no. Jesus came into her life unexpectedly and unannounced. And Jesus simply values her as a woman. He simply loves her as a woman who's made in the image of God. And so we ask, does Jesus value me? The answer is yes. And it is not a case of mistaken identity. Maybe on this point I could just tell you a funny story about something that happened to me once, one time, when I was driving my car, this was late at night, uh, driving through a place called Crawley in West Sussex, and as I was pulling away from a junction, flashing blue lights in my rearview mirror. Now, Folks, normally, when this happens to me, I'm being pulled over by the police. I have to confess this has happened to me a number of times. Um, <laughs> normally, when this happens to me, I immediately feel guilty, yeah? Because I already know what it is that I've done wrong. But I have to say that on this particular occasion, I couldn't think of anything that I had done wrong. And so I'm thinking, well, maybe the policeman's just bored, or... Uh, Maybe he's seen how well I'm driving. He wants to congratulate me on my driving. <laughs> so I was feeling pretty confident as I wound down my window. He comes over and says, uh, is this your vehicle, sir? I said, yes, as a matter of fact, it is. He said, were you aware that you were indicating for at least 200 yards before you eventually turned right at the previous junction? At this point, I'm thinking, I hadn't realized that early indication was an offense. Anyway, 
He says, step out of the vehicle, please, sir. I said, why? He said, when was the last time you had an alcoholic drink? I said, that's a good question. When was the last? I said, three months ago? He said, blow into this bag, please, sir. I said, why are you getting me to do a breath test? He said, because your responses to my questions are a bit slow. <laughs> I said, just a slow kind of guy. I'm just, just not the brightest. Anyway, so I blow into the breathalyzer kit thing, and I hand it to him. He's looking at the result, and I say to him, it's negative, isn't it? He said, yes, sir. It is negative. It must be broken. <laughs> he said, have you been taking drugs, sir? I said, no. He said, cocaine, sir? I said, no. He said, ecstasy, sir? I said, no. And then eventually, he let me go with a stern warning about the perils of early indication before jumping. <laughs> but throughout the whole conversation, it just felt like a case of mistaken identity. You know, the most amazing thing about me and the most amazing thing about you is that this is not a case of mistaken identity. God knows all the best that there is to know about you, God knows all the best that there is to know about me. God knows all the worst that there is to know about you. God knows all the worst that there is to know about me. And he's in. This is not a case of mistaken identity. He's in. And as we're about to see, Jesus already knows all that there is to know about the Samaritan woman. He wants you. He's in. He's for you. And he's not against you. And he's drawing you to himself. A bit like Jesus here is drawing this woman. How this woman is being drawn to Christ. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again? He means that until we come to him, until we come to Jesus, we'll never be completely satisfied. We'll always have this faint sense of striving, longing, looking forward to the next thing. Well, folks, what is brilliant about this woman is that by the end of our story, she realizes the reason why she is still thirsty, the reason why she's not yet satisfied, is because she's separated from God. You see, Jesus is offering us something this morning that's so much better than well water. It turns out that you and I have been too easily pleased. It turns out that God is more committed to our happiness than we are. So Jesus says, hey, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, he would have given you living water. In other words, hey, lady, if you knew that right now you are being offered the gift of eternal life by the Son of God, at this point you'd say, oh, wow, Jesus, can I have your eternal life, please? And then I would reply, uh, yes, absolutely, that's why I came to the planet. So Jesus offers her eternal life, but she hasn't yet understood what he's on about. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go. Call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. The man who you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. What? So Jesus suddenly changes the subject and he gets personal. He says, go, call your husband. Now, why, why do that? Why say that? Why change the subject? Folks, 
He didn't. Jesus wasn't changing the subject. Jesus is staying on the same subject. She's kind of been saying, oh, no, 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 I'm not spiritually thirsty. That's not my deal. And Jesus is saying, but the fact that you've had five husbands maybe tells you something about you. Jesus is hinting, look, you don't think that you are spiritually thirsty, but, but actually you deeply thirst for approval, for acceptance, for significance. You thirst for God. It's just that you don't recognize your thirst for what it really is. Jesus is saying, look, you've been drinking at the fountain of male approval, but now you're fed up with it, aren't you? Because each time you got married, you thought, oh, wow, this next bloke, this new guy, he's going to make me happy. But each time you've been disappointed. And so after five disappointments, you've lost your spark. Can I ask you this morning? Somewhere along the road of life, have you lost your spark? Jesus is hinting, hey, the light that once burned bright in you has now become dimmed by bitter experience. Jesus is hinting that these husbands have been like pseudo-saviors for you. But they didn't deliver, they didn't last, they didn't even stay. And this latest bloke, the new bloke, what do we know about him? He makes you come out and haul water for him in the heat of the day. He's a false master too. And in just the same way, somebody could be sitting here on one of these blue seats right now thinking, yeah, I mean, I wish I could have faith. But you don't have to create faith. You have already got more than enough faith. All we need to do is transfer our faith from where it currently is to Christ. All we need is to transfer our hopes from where they currently are to Christ. You and I have already got more than enough faith. There is already some place that you and I are going for that spiritual deep love. Somewhere you and I are going where we're drinking deep. We're all human. In her case, okay, it happens to be these five blokes in our case, it could be, in fact, I don't know what it is in our case. It might be the security of a job, or our home, or our appearance, or our friends, or our status. It, for us, it could be being accepted by that particular group of people. But the good news is that Jesus comes to you this morning and says, I've got living water, drink from me. If you do drink from me, you'll never thirst again. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. So this is a massive moment. So the way Jesus very gently helps this woman is so impressive. First, he shows you where you've already got your hopes. First, he shows you and I who our pseudo-saviors and false masters are. Then he can finally say, here's the living water. I'm the Jewish Messiah. I'm the one. I'm the one who's going to fulfill 322 Old Testament prophecies, all of which were written down 400 years before I was even born. I'm him. I'm the one. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of their town and made their way towards him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. 
So now she's free. Now you can't keep her down. She's bouncing around the town. She's got a new source and a new joy. She's experienced radical acceptance. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Wow. So hang on, what makes Jesus the savior of the world? Well, he's the savior of the world because... For one thing, he saves us from ourselves. He saves us from our pseudo-saviors, our false masters. He saves us from our tendency to make idols out of people and things. He saves us from those places where we've already got our hopes. The times when we put other things first in our lives, ahead of God. And of course, he goes on to become the savior of the world when he dies on the cross. Now, hang on. Why is that considered to be such a big deal? Well, maybe at this point, uh, we could just have a little bit of fun. I'd like to invite you at this moment to vote on something with a show of hands, okay? This is just a bit of fun, yeah? Okay, so um, for this survey to work, I'd like to invite you, first of all, could you all please just look at my face for a moment? Not a pleasant sight, I know. But in a moment, I'm going to ask you to vote on something. So could you please, as you're looking at my face, could you please raise your hand if... You think, looking at my face, that I have got a criminal record. Could you please raise your hands? Well, hands up straight away on the left over here. Okay, just a, a few hands. Okay, hands down. Thanks, man. Now, could you please raise your hands if you think that I have not got a criminal record? Oh, wow, the majority. Okay. Well, folks, the truth is, I have to say that I have got a criminal record. Yes. Uh, someone over here is pleased. Uh, yeah. So, um, the truth is that on the 14th of November... 1988, I was arrested for alarm, distress, and a willful obstruction of a highway. Oh, I can see one or two of you are interested. I'm happy to, I will happily tell you about my crime in a second. But what was really quite exciting, folks, was the way in which I was arrested. Because I was arrested. I, I was on foot. I was running away from the police. They were in the police car. They've got the sirens blaring. They've got the, the lights flashing. So... I've run over these two roads, and so I then come to this fence. I jump over a fence. I'm now running uphill through a muddy field, because obviously the car can't follow me into the muddy field. And so the police, they, they fly out the back of the car. They jump over. The, so I'm now running as fast as I can up this muddy hill. And the police jump over the fence. They're now chasing me. I'm in a police chase. Um, so I'm running as fast as I can. They're running as fast as I can. I'm running as fast as I can. And then eventually, the faster of these two coppers catches up with me, and he does this excellent rugby tackle, and I go bang face down in the mud. I'm lying there in the mud, thinking to myself, that was cool. <laughs> I mean, one minute I'm running as fast as I can, next, bang. I thought, yeah, they must practice that. So anyway, um, so I'm lying there in the mud, and of course what I do, what I'm doing is I'm thinking through all of the cop TV programs that I've watched growing up, and as you know, on TV, what happens at this point is that the policeman says, your nick, Sonny Jim. Do you know? He actually said that. <laughs> Your nick. So I said to him, look, you know, officer, I really just want to say a massive thank you. It was really quite exciting. Uh, you know, the, the, the lights and the siren and the rugby tackle and the chase. You know, it's really quite exhilarating. I'm from Wimbledon. This is really quite exhilarating. 
And then, as you know, what happens next on TV is that the policeman, uh, he puts your arm up your back like this and then walks you back towards the squad. He did that as well. And then when I get to the squad car, you know when the police, they're putting somebody who's been arrested in the back of the car? One of the policemen pushes, uh, puts their hand on your head and pushes you down as if you've never got into the back seat of a car ever before. <laughs> so he did that as well. So he pushes me, push my head. So I'm in the back of the car and I go down the station and I empty out my pocket and I'm put in the cells. Now, it might be that by this stage there's one or two of you and you're kind of curious to know what was the alarm? What was the distress? What was the willful obstruction of a highway? Well, I have to tell you that I was a student at the time. And what had happened was that I was just going back to this college where I lived at the time. As I went back, I noticed that a group of about 20 of my friends had got hold of quite a large felled tree that they'd moved, or they were moving to block an entrance to a rival, and in our opinion, inferior college. And so I naturally joined in because at that time I genuinely believed that it was a good thing to block off public access to this other college. So I naturally joined in. I thought it was of no public benefit anyway. So I joined in, blocked off the entrance. And of course, the first clue that something was wrong, flashing blue lights appear in the distance, or my mate Scarpa. <laughs> and I remember thinking, no, 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 you don't need to run away. We're students. This is obviously a student prank. The police are reasonable people. I'm from Wimbledon. I'll be able to reason with these people. But no, when the police car got really close, I thought, no, probably this is wrong. Probably this will turn out to be alarm, distress, and a willful obstruction of a highway. And so because I was the last to leave the scene of my crime, I was also the easiest to catch. But that wasn't my first sin. That was just, if you like, my first publicly recorded sin. No, the truth is that by this stage of my life, there were loads of times when, through my words or my thoughts or my deeds, I mean, the God who really exists knows everything about me. All the times when I knew what the right thing to do was, but I didn't do it. All the times when I've taken the gifts of food, fun, friends, and falling in love for granted, and I've just pushed God, the gift giver, to the margins of my life and just done my own thing, taking the gift of life for granted. And the Bible says that actually all of us have sinned, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible says that the result of that is death, or it literally says in the Bible that the wages of sin is death. So I'm not perfect enough for a perfect heaven. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that heaven is a perfect place. It says about heaven that nothing impure will ever enter it. So that counts me out. Folks, I can't go to heaven when I die. If nothing impure will ever enter it, that counts me out. So I'm facing eternal death. I'm facing the death penalty. Now what is that like? I would like to think that I would never commit a crime in the USA for which the penalty is death by lethal injection. But let's just imagine for the sake of the illustration that I did commit such a crime. What would happen to me? Well, I'd be arrested. I'd probably spend at least a year in prison. Then eventually they'd dress me up in an orange jumpsuit. They'd shackle my ankles. They'd handcuff my wrists and I'd be led into court, and there would be a trial. And let's imagine that, unfortunately for me, at the end of my trial, the evidence against me is overwhelming. 
All that remains after the jury have finished their business is for the judge to hand down the fateful sentence of death by lethal injection upon me. So I'm quaking in the dock, waiting for this verdict. But let's imagine that just before the judge sentences me to death, let's imagine that somebody rushes in from the back of the courtroom. They push past the guards. And rather than the judge stopping the trial, let's imagine the judge allows this disturbance to continue. And this stranger runs all the way down to the front. Now, here's a question. How would you feel if you were in this situation as this stranger pushes you out of the way so that now you're standing on the courtroom floor, you're looking on, as this stranger who you've never met before stands in your place in front of the judge, how would you then feel as the judge proceeds to pass the sentence of death upon the stranger rather than on you? Well, there's a gasp in the gallery. Your relatives and the press who are reporting the case, shock. Clerk of court says, all rise. Everybody stands up. The judge walks out. Trial's over. The guards come to you. And they take the handcuffs off your wrist. They unshackle your ankles. They take the orange jumpsuit off you. They put the orange jumpsuit on this stranger. They shackle his ankles. They handcuff his wrists. And then they lead him away to the wagon, to death row. And of course, as he passes you, you grab his arm. And you say, oh, I've got to stop you. I've got to ask you why. I don't even know you. Why are you doing this to me? Why are you choosing to go to death by lethal injection just so that I can be free. What's in it for you? Why are you doing this for me? And imagine if he simply says back, well, you see, it's like this. I really do love you. And you think, what? Who says that? Is this Hollywood? I mean, what is that? What sort of cheese is that? I, what's going on? Then you think maybe it's like a massive TV show Everyone in the courtroom is all an actor, and I'm the only one that doesn't understand, because obviously it's too good to be true. So you start to wander through. Still, nobody's arresting you or hassling you. You get out into the foyer, and there there's a wall of press and radio and TV. They all want to get a piece of you. But one of the reporters says, hey, look, that stranger, the guy who just swapped with you, the guy who's just going off to death row, I recognized him straight away. I went to school with him. I can tell you something will really interest you about him. That guy, the stranger who just swapped with you, he's the judge's son. In fact, he's the judge's one and only son. Well, now you're in awe of the judge. A few moments later, the judge leaves his chambers. He goes across the foyer. He's going to his car at the end of his working day. And as he passes you, you grab him. You say, Your Honor, I've got to ask you why. Your Honor, why on earth would you choose to allow your one and only son to swap with me? Why would you allow your son to go by, to death by lethal injection just so that I can go free? Who does that? What's going on? Why are you doing this for me? And imagine if the judge says back to you, well, you see, it's like this. I really do love you. Still, you can't. It, it's too good to be true. You wander out of the courtroom. You wander through the streets. You wander for an hour or so, trying to get your head straight. What's going on? And then a car with tinted windows pulls up in front of you. The door opens, and out steps the judge. And your heart sinks. 
I knew it was too good to be true. The judge has come to arrest me. It was all a big game, all a big TV show. The judge walks up to you, but instead of arresting you, he just gives you a massive hug. And as he hugs you and holds you and speaks reassuringly and tenderly to you, in that hug, the penny drops that you really are free. And folks, something like that happened for you on a hill outside Jerusalem in 33 AD. As God the Father, a judge, looked down upon his one and only son, Jesus. And as Jesus died, not by lethal injection, but by crucifixion, somehow God treated Jesus as if Jesus had committed all of the sins of everyone who would ever believe. In that moment, Jesus took the rap for it instead of you and instead of me. And in that moment, you and I really can go free. And these Samaritans had worked out that Jesus really is the Savior. They say he's the Savior of the world, but if he's not already, he can be your Savior. This morning, in just a few minutes' time. And this is exciting. Look as we finish how the woman in our story responds. Does she say to the townspeople, yeah, yeah, come and see a moral code that's improved me? No. She says, guys, come and meet him. Come and meet him. Isn't he great? You see, she goes to the people who previously she was avoiding. She doesn't mind what they think anymore. Why? Because now she's got a completely new self-image. She's totally secure in who she now is in Christ. She's finally fully satisfied. She's got the living water. She'll never thirst again. Jesus satisfies her need for approval and for significance. She's got eternal life because she said yes when she had the chance. And this morning, you're being given the same chance she had to say yes to Christ. As I finish, you can have eternal life. You can come to him. And, I finish with this, if you do come to him, then God the Father will give you a massive hug. He'll hold you, speak tenderly to you. And this morning, you and I can be embraced back in the arms of our loving, heavenly Father. Wonderful. You know, it's a fact of history that three days after Jesus' death and burial, his tomb was empty. The reason why I follow Jesus today is because I became convinced by the overwhelming historical evidence for the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And because Christ has broken through the barrier of death, you can too. You can have eternal life if you put your trust in him. So we're going to sing a song by way of response now. And as soon as this song ends, I'll come back. I'm going to pray a really short prayer. And then if you want to make that prayer your prayer, then while those eyes are closed, you can just raise your hand and say, yep, I want to make that prayer my prayer. So should we stand together? Let's sing. Let's sing together and celebrate. And I'll pray.
Now, many of you here, you want this forgiveness that Christ offers. Maybe you want this relationship with God. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me right now. You didn't pray anything out loud. You can just pray silently. This is a prayer that just says three things. God, I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. Secondly, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Lord God, for sending Jesus. And now I'm coming to you. So let's pray together, shall we? And maybe this morning you're praying something like this. Dear Lord God, Heavenly Father, I want to say yes to you right now. I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I'm turning to you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place as my substitute instead of me so I can be totally forgiven. I'm turning to you. You are my Savior and Lord. And now as everybody else's eyes are closed, if there's never been a time or a period in your life when you've given the whole of your life to Christ, so you can't say, oh yeah, by the time I left school or by the time I moved to Bromley, this is a bit of a gray area. You're not sure. You can be sure this morning. Secondly, maybe this is true of you. You don't know for sure that if perish the thought you were to die tonight, you don't know for sure that you go to heaven. You can be sure before you leave this room. You can be sure in a few minutes' time. Thirdly, maybe this is true of you. You believe in God, but you couldn't say you really know Him personally. Folks, if any one of those three are true of you, the chances are you've never fully given your life to Christ. Well, you can do that. You can be sure this morning just by raising your hand in a second one I ask you to. So if you want to come back to Father God this morning, if you don't know for sure you have that place in heaven, but you want to be sure, you want to know this God who loved you so much that he gave his only son. Maybe you need Jesus Christ to forgive you. Maybe you've never become a Christian before. Maybe you want to know this God who loves you so much he sent his only son. If you want to make that prayer your prayer, then while those eyes are closed, just put your hand up right now. Just raise your hand right now. You want to know the peace of God. God bless you. Keep your hand up. Thank you. Well done. Keep your hands up, guys. You want to know the peace of God. You want to hand in your sin. God bless you. You want to hand in your past and receive his future. You want to hand in your sin and receive his forgiveness. You want to hand in your death and receive his resurrection. It's people with their hands up around the room. If you want to join them, just raise your hand. You want to know the peace of God. Just put your hand up right now. Thank you, Father, for those. God bless you at the back. Keep your hands up, guys. The door of heaven is open right now. Jesus Christ has opened that door. You can just walk through. God bless you guys with your hands up. Wonderful. Okay, if those of you folks with your hands raised, if you could just lower your hands now. God bless you. Let's all open our eyes. It's wonderful when people respond and come to know Jesus. Those of you, I think I saw four or five hands go up. Um, our prayer team, the ones who I said at the start, myself and the prayer team would have their eyes open. It may well be that one of them will come to you and say, hey, I just noticed you had your hand up earlier. I'm one of the prayer team here at the church. My name is so-and-so. They'll introduce themselves, and it would be great if you wanted to chat to them. Do you know what? 
becoming a Christian involves turning away from what you know to be wrong and turning towards Christ. That step's called repentance. It's a crucial step in the process of becoming a Christian. We can explain what's involved. And if you'd like us to, if you're ready to, we'd love to pray with you. But folks, I think it would be great for all of us to finish by giving thanks to God. Maybe we can applaud him. First of all, hey, four or five people responded to the invitation to become a Christian this morning. That's pretty good. Thank you, Lord. But let's thank him most of all for sending his son, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done, Lord. Thank you for sending your son into this world and for raising him from the dead. We thank you, Lord God. Amen. Amen. God bless you.